You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Guess who's back? <laughs> back again. Over a Drink podcast is back. Oh my goodness, it has been too long. Welcome to the Over a Drink podcast. Uh, If you're new, be prepared for just the craziest thing that you're going to listen to this week. Um, And I mean that in a great way. Uh, This podcast is, it has changed a lot over the last six, wow, we're at actually almost 10 months. But it's been a few months since I've recorded one. Uh, and so we're actually going to announce like a little bit of a change. Uh, this podcast started testimony sharing, storytelling, A to Z. Uh, and that was the first heart of an intention behind it. But then as it matured and as we grew, it kind of evolved into a dialogue, which was cool in itself, but it wasn't the original purpose. The purpose of this podcast is to weaponized testimonies and to normalize normal men talking about normal things i.e. their testimonies uh the the stuff the the crap that they've gone through the crap that they've overcome the crap that they're currently fighting um and so i want to do both so tonight it's tonight it's light outside still but uh i have my friend greg here hello uh hi greg um greg is gonna be doing something different for us tonight we're gonna do about a 40 minute testimony which for some people greg greg actually he shared with me that he has not shared in 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 totality his podcast his testimony before and to do it on a podcast um, guy's got cojones, um, and I'm <laughs> proud of him for showing up and being here. Um, so 40 minutes, uh, and then we're going to end it, and you will see on your little handheld device, wherever you're listening to this, a second episode where Greg and I are going to talk about what the Lord is teaching him right now. So we're taking both and. Uh, we're going to do his story, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit do its thing with that because there are going to be aspects that he shares that are relatable to you whoever that is it's you um and then there's going to be a part of what he the lord is teaching him right now and that's gonna be more conversational Um, i'm gonna shut up for the first episode i'm gonna shut up for right now i've been talking too much already but check out the second episode as well because uh we're getting a little double double dip in action so greg um greg and i were on a bowling team together um i don't mean to brag but i'm i beat greg in bowling Except for when the last the last game of the year when it actually mattered and I just completely <laughs> peed down my leg. I think that was the best. And that's that the best I've you've ever bowled, ever bowled. in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, Mitch was the MVP, I think, of no, almost every week. No, Kevin. Stupid Kevin. Kevin fifty fifty. He's gonna listen to this. We hate Kevin. Ke- yeah, Kevin, we, if you listen to this, we hate you. Yeah, we don't like <laughs> you. So <laughs> um, but uh Greg is just an awesome dude. Um, he will be your friend whether you like it or not. And so, Greg, you have 45 seconds to tell me about yourself, um, and then we're going to jump into your testimony. So 45 seconds, three floors on an elevator. Ready? Go. Okay. 
Um, well, yeah, my name's Greg Hathaway. I'm originally from uh, the Midwest, Auburn, Indiana. I moved out to Denver um, about four years ago. I'm a landscape architect, so I work on residential properties, basically putting resorts in people's backyards, rich people's backyards in Denver, <laughs> which is um, amazing. I've been a Christian um, most of my life, which we'll get into here in a second. Um, and I love to golf. I love, I also love relaxing. I like a balance of, you know, sitting on the couch and watching whatever TV show I want to watch and also getting out and being active. So um, I love skiing, trying to think of other hobbies. Um, love stand reading. up comedy. Stand up comedy is a You've huge You've bonded one. on stand up comedy. Yes, we have. Um, we absolutely have. So on, on comedy that is probably not appropriate for this podcast. And so <laughs> if you would like to know our stand up comedian's taste, talk to us offline. Yes. Um, that was 45 seconds. Um, I would like to add that Greg is also single. So ladies, um, <laughs> all, all your lady listeners, all, all my late, you would be surprised. Actually, that's been one of the cooler things. Um, I've had people be like, Oh, I had this perspective of men. And through the podcast, I've learned that like they go through shit too. That's incredible. And I'm like, weeping behind my Instagram <laughs> messages. Um, all right. So Greg, um, here's the part where I shut up. Uh, thank you for everything you're about to share. Um, and go, go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, as Mitch mentioned, I've never that I can really remember shared my testimony like in length, um, especially in this kind of platform on a podcast. This is my first time being on a podcast so hopefully um your listeners are gracious while they <laughs> listen but um but yeah i um like i said i grew up in the midwest um which definitely has much more of a, a christian um environment i think um it seems like especially moving out here and so everybody goes to church um and so that's that's what i grew up doing was you know both my parents uh, were raised christian um, so I was raised Christian, got saved at, I mean, I, I, f I think I got saved like probably eight different times <laughs> as a kid cause you just, you want to be sure. And so, um, so I've been saved since, since I was young. Um, but there's been a lot of different life events that have really cemented, um, my, my faith, I guess, and my journey. And, um, so I think growing up, um, it was just kind of a, I didn't, I didn't have any major trauma, I guess. I think probably the biggest um, impact on my faith when I was growing up was, I say I don't have trauma, but then I'm about to share this, but um, my older brother, who's a year older, I have two brothers, a younger brother and, um, and an older brother, and my older brother has um, epilepsy or seizures. Mm -hmm. And so, um, he's had that since he was two, so he's had that his whole life, so it's always been a part of my life, which I think is why I don't necessarily categorize it as trauma. I think it was more just kind of um, traumatic over years of different things happening. And so, um, you know, when, when you're a kid and you grow up with that, um, you don't really you don't really um, put it in the context of like your faith of it, like testing your faith or, or you're just kind of a kid with this brother who has seizures, you know, every once in a while and goes to the emergency room or, 
is off having major surgeries at hospitals and um, and so but I, I think it really started to impact my faith when I started when I grew up um, when I grew up but when I when I got to the age of probably like I don't know 16 or 17 um, because I think at that age like I started to become mature enough that I saw the impact I had on my parents and mm-hmm. and, and and their life because I don't think you can understand much of that as a kid and so um so uh, I think probably some of the bigger events that happened were he um he's had I think three maybe four different brain surgeries and so I've, I've seen him um you know seeing your brother in the hospital with a, a turban looking bandage around his head with wires hooked up everywhere after he's just gone through, um, you know, getting part of his skull removed to be able to put probes in it to figure out. Um, I don't want to go on a whole seizures. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but mm-hmm. basically there are dead parts in his brain that where the synapses um, don't connect or don't mm-hmm. pass through. And so that's when the seizures happen. So basically a lot of his life they've been trying to figure out because the brain is so complicated where those major parts of his brain are. Wow. And so some of the brain surgery was just like investigation basically. So long story short, seeing those kinds of things when you're a teenager and then starting to become more of an adult and seeing having to watch your parents like deal with that and then having to watch their son go through that and then also having to have the, I don't know, um, the strength to keep trying to figure out a way to minimize or remove his seizures because basically every, a lot of the investigation, a lot of the different surgeries that he's had have been to uh, try and find a way to basically mitigate his epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And so it's been failure after failure after failure. So I think all of those failures along, you know, 10 plus years kind of came to a, a head um, when I started to become a teenager because you just start to lose faith mm-hmm. in doctors, which then you start to look elsewhere of like, well, like what, <clears throat> why? <laughs> you start asking yeah. why, you start asking, you know, what what could God possibly have in this? And mm-hmm. so um, in high school is where I think I was, my faith was strengthened, but it, it was also just tested a lot, but um, I think just because of, like, becoming a teenager and then starting to kind of, like, frame a lot of these, um, a lot of these issues with, um, within, like, the context of, of my faith, I guess, if that makes any sense, and so, um, so I, I went to a Christian school my junior and senior year, so when I was, like, 17, 18, and, um, that was when, like, I started to understand what it was to have a faith, what it was to study the Bible and, and even understand like, um, what prayer is supposed to, the purpose of it. And, 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 um, and so just all, all these, like all these things that you understand the words when you're being brought up in a church, but not that you really, um, really fully understand from a, uh, a level that like impacts your faith. Like, mm-hmm like oh I should pray but what is that like God help me not to fail this test today you know kind of thing yeah and so 
<laughs> all this like the the epilepsy with my brother and surgeries and all these crazy things that are happening and then like my starting to get like an understanding of of what having faith really is um and I think that's probably now that I'm like saying it out loud it's it's probably why um my faith was so tested because it was becoming more prevalent so like you know I think the devil was starting to creep in um and attack because you could see I was moving in a direction you know towards the Lord Hmm. and so um so then, so I, there wasn't really anything, like, major that happened in high school with my brother. It was just more, like, you just kind of lose hope. And Continuous, like, yeah. disappointment type. Exactly. And eventually that takes its toll, right? Yeah. And so you're, like, frustrated on so many fronts, like, because he can't get a driver's license because he, um, because of um, his condition and... He has to live with my parents. Um, he like actually just moved out last week, but um, or a couple weeks ago. But I mean, he's 28 years old, and <laughs> at the time he was, you know, a year older than me, so he was like 18, 19, and mm-hmm. you know, college was a struggle. His his medication that he has to take to try and stop or at least you know dampen the seizures um, would cause him to sleep a lot, so he didn't have a regular schedule at school. So he would go in midday and stay till just go to like half days so it took him a year longer to graduate high school and so we graduated the same year of high school um and then college he, he still got a degree but it took him four years to get a two-year degree and so it's just all, all these you just like keep watching your brother go through all these barriers and then your parents having to navigate that and um it's hard to see it's, it's hard to see God in a lot of that because you're just like, this is hopeless. It's been going on for 20-plus years. Like, like, what am I supposed to learn? What are my parents supposed to learn? Like, they're at the end of their rope constantly, always having to take trips to the emergency room if he does have seizures because his medication, like, couldn't stop it, so they would have to literally, like, give him Valium and, like, crazy, tran- like, tranquilize him at the hospital. So it's just, like, all these things. I've had to take him to the emergency room. Like, just all these crazy things. And so... Um, I think, I think like when I let, when I graduated high school and went to college is when I, I think some of the doubts started to creep in. Hmm. And so as much as my faith had been deepened in high school, when I got out in the real world, um, when I wasn't in that like Christian school environment, going to church every Sunday, youth group on Wednesdays, um, I think that once I was kind of like outside of all that, then it's, it's hard to. It's hard to continue on that path. I think anybody mm. yep. graduating who's graduated high school and gone <laughs> off to college can understand that. Yeah. Um, but then I also have like all this stuff that's going on with my brother, and then also, I mean, I only went to college. I went to Purdue. If there are any Big Ten listeners out there, Boiler up, Boiler up. <laughs> There's always next year. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, you know, getting out in the real world, starting to operate on my own, and and not being under the umbrella of um, uh, a good solid Christian community, I think, um, I just started to let my faith slip, um, and started to doubt some things. And, um, and I don't know if there's anything significant that happened when I was in college. I mean, um, that brought me back, but I think it was just, um, I, I think it was just being away from it 
and kind of living of the world, going out to bars, drinking, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, that wears on you too, just as much as, <laughs> um, just as much as like being of the faith and doubting it can wear on you. I think being away from it can wear on you too. And so mm-hmm. I was just like bouncing from, <laughs> from doubt to living of the world. Just to tired doing, a yeah, lot. Yeah, just tired. Um, so then, so then I, I, I get through college and I moved to Denver. I got this job my senior, right before I graduated my senior year and moved out here without knowing a single person who lived out here. And, (laughs) um, I lived in a friend, my uncle had a friend out here who, um, who, who let me stay in his basement. I had never met him before, um, until I showed up the day I was moving into his basement. I drove out here, obviously, and, and showed up at his address and just started living with them. So, <laughs> so that was kind of wild. Um, and obviously another massive test. And so, um, so, so then, then the challenge was now, now you don't have, now you don't have any friends. You don't know anybody. I started a new job. Um, and that's another, you know, huge challenge against your faith is like getting wrapped up in trying to figure out all this new, all these new things going on while, um, and, and being like, you know, scared and stressed and, and anxious and, and, um, just, just so much like so much newness and it was great to be out here but it was also so like incredibly lonely to be living in somebody's basement and then trying to figure out all these kind of new aspects of life um so i think i think like a little bit of um a little bit of depression started to creep in because i wasn't making friends i didn't know how to make friends out here i mean thank god for red rocks but Mm. um so then um, fortunately, I was still going to church at um, Brave Church, um, which is down in Cherry Hills, and so I was still, I was still faithful, but just not active. Mm-hmm. And so I think I had fallen back into um, kind of the lukewarmness of of my faith. That because um, I think I I think when I moved out here, it felt like a God thing how it all fell into place. And so I was like, man. It was just like I was I was reacting to things that were happening in my life and then like basing my faith on that. So if things were going good and I get this job and I come out to and I get to move out to Denver, this new state, this new adventure, God's good. And then I actually move out here. I'm living in someone's basement. I have no friends. I'm you know trying to figure out a new job. I'd also gotten back together with an ex-girlfriend two weeks before I moved out here who lived in Indiana. So that was another whole thing (laughs) trying to figure out a long distance relationship (laughs) (laughs) it didn't work out um so there were um so then so then things started to not not go as great and I think my faith reflected that Hmm. and so there was just no consistency I think from out of high school through um through college and then and then moving out here there was just no consistency in my faith and um, I think a massive reason for that is just the community that I had throughout yeah. that. And in college, I had really good friends, but they weren't Christians. And then when I moved out here, I didn't have any friends, so I didn't have a community. 
so um, somehow I, um, I, I, not somehow, I, I ended up finally finding an apartment out here. My girlfriend and I broke up, which could be a whole thing I could elaborate <laughs> on. Um, if you want, you can. <laughs> we got, I mean, you got 25 more minutes. Holy cow. Oh, yeah, 25 more minutes. Okay. I'll, yeah, okay, I'll elaborate a little bit. <laughs> so, within, within like, um, probably three months of, of being out here and living in um, a stranger's basement, I, I started to think that, like, I don't want to be out here anymore and I'm going to move home. And through my job, I basically had, they set up, like, a three-month, like, trial period where you're not, you're a full-time employee and they pay you hourly, but you're not salaried, you don't have benefits or any of that stuff. So basically at the end of that three months, then either they can decide to let you go or like I could decide to leave if it wasn't working out. So throughout those three months, it was really hard. My girlfriend at home obviously wanted me to move home because she didn't want to move out here and away from her family and friends. And so... And so three months into living out here, I had made the decision that I'm, I'm going to quit my job and move back to Indiana. So I literally, to the point of going into work when I had my three-month like review and telling my bosses I was moving home in two weeks. And then I went home that night <laughs> and called my dad. And I had been talking to my parents about this the whole time, and I think they just didn't want to tell me what to do. But then when I made that decision, they were like, that wasn't what you were supposed to do. <laughs> so they, I called my dad, told him, and he was like, you're not, you're not coming back. And my dad is very, um, very passive in the way that he bothers yeah. me. Like, he doesn't ever tell me what to do. He's very indirect. And so I usually have to read between the lines to know what he's trying to say. Yeah. That night he was, <laughs> couldn't have been more clear. And, like, that was the first time, I think, in my life I felt like my dad was like, you're not doing this. Like, you're you're staying out there. There's something out there for you. I don't know what it is. And I really felt like, I really felt like God was kind of, like, speaking to me, like, through my dad in that way. Mm-hmm. And, like, like, there's more for you out here. Yeah. Like, this is part of your story. It doesn't end by you moving back to Indiana three months after mm-hmm. trying this. Problem with that is... Girlfriend doesn't like um, my that. girlfriend. I in uh, Indiana is two hours ahead time zone, so this was at like eleven at night. So she was already fast asleep. She had gone to bed. I had convinced her that I was going to move home. She was happy with that, and then I'd also told her, "Yeah, I went in and told my bosses that I'm moving home. So in two weeks, I will be back in Indiana." <laughs> she went to sleep thinking that, and then woke up to me telling her, "Hey, I'm probably going to stay out here for a couple years." And so, yeah, <laughs> so you can imagine yeah. that any girl <laughs> would not be okay with that. Um, and so, so that, so that was just kind of the downturn in our relationship. Yeah. Like we, we lasted maybe three more months, um, three or four more months, but it was a struggle. She was, um, rightfully angry and, um, definitely bitter which um, which was hard for me, and it kind of drove me, like, into a really, really bad place of, like, depression. And eventually, like, um, so bad, so, so badly so that 
like I, I kind of lost, like I knew that I needed to stay out here and I knew like in my heart, I was like, this is the right thing. But I had hurt this person so badly that it like, my depression kind of drove me into a place of not like actively suicidal thoughts, but just like, I would be okay if I died. You just went to sleep and didn't wake up. Or if I like on my way to work so many mornings, there's this, when you get off on the, um, six, um, that whatever they call it, the, the exit to get onto interchange to get onto 25, the worst part of Colorado. Uh And if we would advertise that (laughs) as like, Hey, come drive on this interchange. Everyone would, all the Californians would just be like, nah, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. That was very accurate. So there's so many mornings I'd be driving to work and there's like a a concrete barrier and I'd be like, what if I just kind of move the wheel over and then it was over. So, so anyway, so fortunately, I guess fortunately I ended up breaking up with her, um, which was another level of like, I've hurt this person by not moving home and now I've hurt them by, you know, ending the relationship. And so that kind of drove me into an even deeper place where like, um, you know, started to, um, drink quite a bit in the evenings and like just to try and numb the pain a little bit. Cause it was just for someone like me, I know you guys don't know me, but, um, I'm like a, a massive, um, people pleaser. I want everyone to like me. And now that I've gone through some therapy, I realized mm-hmm. that like, that is where I place all of my self self worth is mm-hmm. in people's acceptance and their and how they they receive me, mm-hmm. and I just put my self worth in anything that, um, like at work, if you know, I put my worth in my performance, um, and in a relationship, I put my worth in in my you know, performance as a boyfriend, and so, um, so anyway, so failing somebody pre therapy failing somebody like that and then breaking up with them was like worst case scenario in my world. Also quick plug therapy is not a bad thing. You've heard me say it a hundred times. If you are not a failure for going to therapy, you're not less than you're not weak. If anything, you are the opposite of both Mm. of those antonyms. Mm. Um, Go to therapy. Everyone needs it. I cannot echo that enough. I mean, um, I'll get to, to that part of my story here quickly, but um, yeah, I went to therapy last year and for the first time and it is literally life changing. Like there is nothing that you could do that is better for yourself than therapy. If there, there are things that you think you don't want to talk about, I promise you talking about them is so healing. It's the best thing you could possibly do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't encourage anybody that listens to this more to go to therapy. Um, there are resources out there too that, cause it's expensive. Um, there yeah. are resources and, um, reach out to me and I can connect you to resources, uh, that are available. Um, but it is so important. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That is, yeah. he's right. And it is scary. It is scary. It is. And, but it, you walk out maybe not the first time, <laughs> maybe not the third time, but then when you look back, you're like, Oh wow. Yeah. I didn't even realize I felt that way. I didn't realize I needed to figure that out. Yeah. Sorry, I'm. That's enough talking. I Back could to talk, you. no. I could talk about the therapy 
for another 45 minutes if you want to do a third episode. Well, <laughs> we have we have a second episode where we, we can go back and forth more. Which yes. Let's do that. So we'll, we'll save the therapy talk for that. <laughs> but, but yes, go to therapy in whatever capacity you can or financially able because, yeah, to, to figure yourself out is terrifying, yes, but um, it gives you so much power over your life. It's, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So anyway... So I had, I had I had failed my girlfriend, and then I also had um, because I had told my bosses that I was quitting. I literally had to go in the next day and ask them to not, or ask them to let me stay. Hmm. <laughs> so then they were like, "Okay, you had a knee jerk reaction. Let's give you another three month trial period." So then at work, I was like on notice basically because there was like is he going to wake up tomorrow and want to leave again, you know? Yeah. So I was dealing with, you know, breaking up with somebody, which is just a horrible thing. And, um, and just having to try and prove myself at work. And for somebody that puts all their identity in that, um, it just wasn't healthy. And so it drove me to like an even darker place. Like I said, of like, just, you know, coming home and having, you know, a, third of a bottle of whiskey a night and then waking up hungover and trying to go into work and put on airs like I wanted to be there when everything inside of me was just felt dead, mm-hmm. you know? And I also didn't have friends still. Um, I had fortunately moved out, which was hard in its own right because then I was completely alone. I didn't have anybody. But the couple I was staying with had a six-month-old baby when I moved in, and so living with that... <laughs> And getting away it's from so them, fun. Which can tell you it's the best. <laughs> They're a blessing. No. Um, so um, so anyway, so I was living completely by myself um, at that point, and so trying to deal with all this in isolation. Um, so fortunately, as time went on, I just kept pressing forward. Like I wanted to give up. I didn't necessarily want to um, kill myself, but just didn't want to really live. And so like, but for some reason I just kept pushing forward. I was like, there's something here. I, you know, I, I, I think God literally just kind of put his hand on my back and just was like, keep mm-hmm. going. Like just take one step each day, mm. just keep going into work and it'll get better. I promise you. And so, um, through just, um, I think heavenly perseverance because it was none of my own. I just kept going. And um, one of my coworkers, which is really cool, she um, she's a Christian. I work at a very small company. There's like four, now five of us. And so um, she was a Christian, so we got to connect like about her faith. And, um, and so to work at a small company like that and then also to like have somebody else that you can talk to, about your faith with was incredible. So that had like a huge impact, um, on, on my faith at the time. And so then she was the one who told me about Red Rocks. So at some point I started going to Red Rocks and I was just going to Sunday services. I went to a couple YAs, but it was like overwhelming. (laughs) It's a lot of people (laughs) to go by yourself. Yeah. And like, yeah, if you're, you know, extroverted or friendly, like you can, easily meet people there I think but like for me it was like just a room full of people I don't want to connect with like I just (laughs) just which is funny to hear you say because you are 
like the most likable person as far as like you just jump in and I didn't even know you when we started hanging out. I didn't know you when I started. Um, but like, <laughs> like it was instantly like, oh, this guy's awesome. Like, but I can. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I'm just doing it to to puff you up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but that's crazy to hear that. Um, despite who you are, like those those environments are intimidating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And to be, to, yeah, do you notice that? Like, if you stand and watch, people come in in groups. Yeah, it's very, it's, yeah, it's, it's, and, like, then I started doing that when I started to go more often. It was, like, I came in groups, and it was, like, so much better. Yeah. But, yeah, it is, like, you don't get a lot of people just coming by themselves. No. I've talked to other people who have went by themselves, and they were, like, I only went once, and it was, like, holy crap, that was insane. <laughs> so. <laughs> Too much. Um, but, yeah, I. I appreciate that, that I'm, I'm likable, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, those, those kinds of environments, like for me to, um, connect with somebody like that is, is, I don't know. It, sometimes it comes naturally. Like, I feel like when I met you, I think that's part of your personality too, is like you brought out the best parts of my personality. Mm-hmm. So I think like. We're certain, like a match made in heaven. We are. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think certain personalities bring out like those yeah. good aspects of my personality. But anyway, um, so I had been going to church services. I had been going to YA a couple times. And then that same coworker that told me about Red Rocks told me about the small groups that they were doing. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. Cause like I was, I thought that the things I was doing would make me, um, I would find friends through that just by going to a Sunday service or going to YA. And, um, I found out that that was not working. And so I was like, well, I should probably join a small group where I can meet a smaller group of guys. And so she told me about them that they were like opening up more groups at the time. And so I ended up joining one and, and that was like the most life changing thing. Like mm-hmm. that small decision just to join mm-hmm. a group, um, was, the, yeah, the most life-changing thing I think I've ever done. Like, mm-hmm. it was the biggest decision I've ever made, and it felt so small at the time because I was like, I'm just going to try this and meet a bunch of weird Christian guys, and then <laughs> maybe I'll have one friend out of it. I joined the group and had, you know, eight best friends within a couple weeks of knowing each other. And um, a lot of that was um, due to, like, the guys in the group, and um, they were just, like, the coolest guys <laughs> on top of being, like, guys of faith. And so through that group, I, like, realized um, I met Kevin through that group. Um, we hate you, Kevin. And we hate Kevin, so <laughs> seven best friends. If you want to listen to an awesome <laughs> podcast, plug real quick. Kevin's episode uh, is is great. Um, yes. We don't actually hate Kevin. No, um, not even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we would be bad people if we hated Kevin because he's the best guy. He's so. just better than everybody. He is. <laughs> not because he tries to be. He no, just he's is. just... He can sing. He's super smart. Notice how I said sing first. That's because I'm married to a musician. Um, <laughs> and also he plays volleyball like a freaking star. And yeah. it's annoying. Yeah. Share. Yeah, he's a crazy athlete. He's got insane musical abilities. Incredibly intelligent. Wise. I generous. Mean, generous. I mean. F you, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough Kevin talk. I'm tired of that guy. 
Um, what a stupid name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, met, met Kevin, met, uh, you know, a bunch of other guys that were incredible. And so I met, uh, one guy in particular, um, and I became like incredibly close with, um, his name was, his name's Joe. And so we, like him and I started to spend like every weekend together. Like mm. he, um, he liked the fly fish and just do like anything outside. So like he was super adventurous. He was always trying to do, he tried to get me to do a 14 or so many times and I just couldn't, I was like, I can't man. <laughs> um, but just like the best dude just wanted to, he like Kevin is just like generous as like anyone could possibly be with his time his his, uh, his money, his like efforts, his resources, like just unbelievable. And so I ended up like, actually like moving from my apartment that was in the highlands like to an apartment building that was right next to joe's condo um which was awesome we lived like right next to each other so like every fly fishing weekend every hike every every he loved food too so like we would go to pf chang's and get you know (laughs) enough food for like six people and they would be bringing it out to the table like are you guys waiting on people or be like Like, nope shut up and go back to your your (laughs) serving station go back and get the deep fried green beans and you also forgot the crab cheese wontons yeah. <laughs> don't think i missed those <laughs> and so it was just like um such an amazing time and and like joe was also like super new to um having faith like he had been mm-hmm. raised catholic but he was new to um, being a christian and so that was really cool too and that like so all these things like having a best friend joe also golfed we would golf fly fish and eat basically was what <laughs> we would do and play call of duty um and so like having that which was a, a, such a huge hole in my life that had been um that i had been longing for for you know several years of living out here and not having any friends yeah. and so that hole was filled i had guys that i was hanging out with that were just good dudes that you'd have deep talks with and really connect with and i started to understand what it was like to have a community hmm. um and so that alone like really deepened um my faith in a way that I don't think I don't think anything ever could really it's just having having guys around you that you can share your the deepest parts of yourself with the parts of your junk and they have it too Hmm. and they might have worse junk and you'd be like wow I didn't even know there was someone worse than me that lived that existed you've got a lot of junk in your trunk yeah (laughs) And so, so it was just like such a great time in my life because, and I, I think it was the thing that God was like, just keep going. Cause I have more for you. And it felt like, Oh, this was what mm. you had. This was what you had in store for me. Like, I can't believe. Mm. And so we would meet, the group would meet once a week. We would just get updates on everybody's lives, just like sharing life with people. Um, and really sharing life like every week somebody had something that they were dealing with or you know it was just like the best form of a men's group that I've like ever had Mm. um, or like ever seen and so I can't encourage on top of therapy joining men's groups (laughs) and having guys in your life that can just uh, carry the weight and 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 also like uh, your perspective changes completely based on you know, you meet so many guys with different life experience and, um, different faith experience and, um, it just rounds you out in a way that, 
is amazing. Mm. And so, um, cut to like, I think March or April last year. Um, Joe kind of out of the blue. Um, he, I don't know how to like, he, he basically went crazy. Like he lost control of his mind. Basically he, um, we don't know what it was. Um, but he started just acting erratically, like being delusional, like kind of like schizophrenic bipolar behavior where he was just like very extreme and it just kind of fell out of the sky. And so like, I mean, I could tell you so many crazy stories about that period of my life, but, um, he would like buy cars. He would, he was like really angry at, he felt like he had been like, there, it was like this weird anger that he had felt like life had kind of screwed him over so much that he wanted to screw everyone else over. And so he was going to like, he wanted to like sue his parents and sue the company that he worked for and the building, the management of the building that he lived in. Just like not Joe, like you're like, you're, you're hanging out with this person and you're like, this is not the person that I know. Like, I don't know where they went, but this is not, this is not Joe. And he just like, he wasn't, he wasn't sleeping. He'd be up. Like I would get, you know, 50 texts at two in the morning. Cause he was just like up doing something. And he was just like texting me all kinds of crazy stuff. Like he wanted to join the Navy SEALs and thought he could become president. And it was just, it was cra- like literally crazy. Yeah. Um, and so you're, you know, like there's nothing in your life that could ever prepare you for that. Just dropping out of the sky basically. Cause yeah. it was almost like one week he was pretty normal. And then the next week he was doing all these insane things. And so a, like just all of a sudden, and I lived, like I said, I moved literally a building next to him. So we lived super close. And so there was like, no, I just got a front row seat to everything. And we were so close. We were like literally about as close as two people can get. And so obviously he was like, felt like I was the only one in his life that wasn't, everyone else was telling him how kind of crazy he was acting. And you tell that to a crazy person, they're not going to believe you. Yeah. And so he, I was the only one who wasn't telling him that I was just kind of listening to him because I didn't know what else to do. And so, um, so there was, I mean, probably three months, three or four months where this was going on and, um, I didn't know what to do. Like I was a watching my best friend completely burn his life to the ground. Like he, he was like kind of terrorizing his neighbors at his apartment building. He was terrorizing his parents. Like he was just like a menace in a way. And to know somebody so deeply to know that they would never, if they had any control, they would never do something like that. And so, and just spending like all of his money, like he bought like a $90,000 Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk. So, and so he was credit cards, companies were calling him all the time. Like it was, he like, I mean, it's hard to like put in a short form. Um, but basically just watching, just imagine watching someone that you love the most, um, just tear their life apart and burn it down to the ground. 
and then not knowing what to do about it and being involved in, you know, hanging out and him wanting to get dinner and him like spewing all of his crazy thoughts in his head over dinner. And then like the waiter comes by and he's going off about thinking he could become president. And you're sitting there like, like, dude, I know you think you sound completely rational right now, but we're in public. And so, so like the, and also just the fear of like not knowing what he could do either. And so throughout that whole process, he got put on two different psychological holds where like the EMS like took him away and put him, you know, locked him up in like a literal like psych ward. And, um, so yeah, just seeing all that, not knowing what to do. Also like being incredibly afraid and anxious and like paranoid because I didn't know he was like literally up like 24 hours. (laughs) He's sleeping like an hour a day maybe. And so I just never knew what he was going to do. I never knew what kind of phone call I was going to get. I never knew where he was. I just never knew what was going to happen. I was also scared of what could happen because someone who's, he was like totally unafraid of death, like totally, you know, just kind of unhinged in a way. And then like not being able to really do anything about it and like talking to his parents and being like, what do we do? And they're like, he's an adult. Like we can't technically do anything. Like they called the, he got put on a psych hold when they called the cops on him because he was, like, threatening them. And so they called the cops. But that was the only thing who called the EMS who then took him into the into the hospital who put him in the psych ward. And so <clears throat> anyway, um, to watch all of that, um, I realized, like, I was so – I was physically ill from all of it. I was mm-hmm. so anxious and so paranoid that I was throwing up every morning – Um, I was so distracted and exhausted from all my anxiety, um, and like paranoia that I couldn't, I couldn't like, I felt like I couldn't even function because I would get up in the morning and be so exhausted from just myself thinking and wondering and worrying, um, that like, I, yeah, it was hard to work. It was, I went home to Indiana for a couple weeks because I just didn't feel like safe. I was like, I don't know what is going to happen. And so I went home to Indiana, and then I was just, like, sick there. And so, anyway, so it was, like, this, like, dichotomy of, like, caring about your friend and wanting to help him in any way you can. And then also, like, like I wasn't well and sick. Self-preservation. And self-preservation. And so I, at some point, decided, I think when I was home in Indiana, I was like, I need therapy because I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah. Who could, like, who would, like, like, there's no, (laughs) unless you've gone through something like that before it happens again, like, there's no preparation for something like that. And so, went to therapy, started to understand what self-preservation was and understand that, like, I have to look out for myself, like, I can't sacrifice myself to help my friend. So, I decided to, like, get some space from him, and I think at that point... He'd gotten off his second psych hold. He'd almost drank himself to death and, like, took a bunch of pain pills and something else and, like, almost... Um, and his neighbors, like, I think found him out in, out in the hallway with, like, an empty bottle of tequila or something. And so he got... This is a very, like, scattered way of telling this story, so I apologize. <laughs> um, 
but he so after he got taken to the hospital for that they put him on another psych hold because obviously when they evaluate you and you're like just completely gonna be the president yeah off your rocker um so after he got off of the second psych hold he finally accepted some like medication which like started to bring him back down to earth a little bit and so during that time I was like okay he's starting to like get a little better like now I need to separate myself because like I am not okay just knowing that I could even get a phone call with him just would like almost give me a panic attack and so there was like probably three months of me like he called me a couple times left me voicemails he'd try to reach out and that was really hard because like I would hear his voice and I'd be like man this sounds like Joe again and but I was just like I'm not ready and so in August of last year um he I I think after he kind of came back down to earth then he realized or at least was kind of told because came to find out that he didn't really remember a lot of what happened during like those couple few months that he was kind of going nuts and so through him being told kind of what he did and then what he did remember it like took him because he's you know such a good person like realizing what he had done it took him into like a really really deep depression and so um so then and I I was kind of aware of it I knew that he wasn't in a great place but I was like man i I just, like, couldn't bring myself to carry that weight. And um, so then in August, he um, ended up taking his his own life because he, just from guilt and just, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, the devil just took control of his mind and he lost control. And then when he gained control again, I think the devil just got inside of him and told him that he it wasn't worth it i'm sorry thanks man um and so i think in the second episode we can kind of elaborate on post yeah (laughs) but from a faith and testimony perspective going through losing your best friend in the way that i that i did um i think could easily take someone away from their faith And I think the opposite really happened for me because, you know, it's easy in in hard situations to cling to God, but man, I was, I couldn't have clung clung any harder. Like Mm. I was white knuckle gripped on, onto God through the whole thing. Because like when nothing makes sense in your life, when all this is going on, like God is the only thing that makes any remote sense. And you're Mm. like, I was just holding on to, the fact that he knew what was going on and the fact that he had some sort of plan, like whatever happened. And, um, and so then when, when Joe decided to take his own life, um, it was, I don't know. It's, it's such a loss is such a, such an interesting thing to experience, um, because it just has, it kind of (laughs) widens, your um the depth of like sadness that you can feel but then also like the heights of joy i think that you can feel Mm. and and like your 
your the depth in your faith that you can also feel through that because you know even though even though Joe's gone I know that he was saved and that he's in heaven and so just the amount of peace that you can feel about that knowing that like somebody you lost is resting and doesn't have to feel the guilt and the weight of something that they've done that they didn't have any control over and the pain that he had to deal with and through that whole you know five six months knowing that he doesn't have to feel that anymore and he's he's at home with Jesus is like such a such a peaceful feeling Mm. but then like the pain of not having that person around anymore is um crushing too and so um so just like you know luckily I was already going to therapy so when this happened I really went to therapy (laughs) um and so it was was just processing things through that but I, I think the, the, I don't know, the, the peace I was feeling about it, knowing that Joe wasn't hurting anymore, was kind of, I would have every other emotion of grief, of denial. There were times where I think I would get a call from Joe, like really, really think that in my head, to anger, to just all, just all the emotions of grief I was just going through. I think like peace kind of superseded all of those. Hmm. And fortunately, like there, I mean, there's, there's so much, (laughs) so many times of like sadness and depression, but it was never like, I don't want to be here anymore because I don't know how to get past this loss. It was like the weight of this loss is heavy and I feel exhausted by it. But I also, on the other side, know that, um, a person that I care so deeply about, is up in heaven and I get to see him again someday. Hmm. And so like great, like gratitude through that of like, God, thank you for saving Joe before this happened. Hmm. Thank you for him finding the men's group when he was new to his faith that helped him deepen his faith, faith and, and also like his impact on my faith because he was so curious and new to faith and he was very smart. So he would ask a lot of challenging questions to me. And um, so it helped me, if I didn't know, I would go try and figure it out or study it. So he was pushing me in those ways. And so, um, so it was, we're probably way over 45 minutes, aren't we? It's fine. That's a loose, <laughs> a loose. this is a Holy Spirit podcast and yeah. I don't feel like we're done. So we're going to keep talking. <laughs> okay. So, um, so just being just like so grateful that he was saved and found the group and had an impact on a lot of guys' lives um, before he was gone. And um, so, I mean, God's grace just becomes so much more full and evident when, when you lose somebody like that through suicide and you're like, thank God that isn't the last time I'll see him or that's not yeah. the end because yeah. it could have been. Mm-hmm. And so thank God that whatever other people in his life led him to want to explore having a relationship with Jesus um, that God put into place before all of this happened. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's ultimately what, um, you know, what I've learned from, from that. But um, so anyway, that like that obviously 
is probably the biggest part of my story. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's a lot of things, but obviously that was the most recent, but that was yeah. definitely the the biggest impact on me and, and my testimonies that like I could stand even stronger on my faith because I went through that. And mm. in some ways, not that I'm thankful that my, my friend is gone, but thankful of what God showed me through it. And it's impossible to see it when you're in it. I think when you're going through something like that, you're like, what, what could possibly, what could I possibly learn from this? This doesn't make any sense. But then like being on the other side of it and looking back and realizing, man, God had his hand in so many different (laughs) ways throughout that. And so, well, I think it's cool listening to your story. Well, first of all, thank you for, for sharing and for being vulnerable and um, talking about, I mean, it's hard when you try so hard to let a wound heal um, to go back and poke it again and talk about it. Mm. Um, but I think it shows something of your confidence in the Lord to trust in that healing enough that you're going to poke the scar and it's not going to reopen. Yeah. Um, I think So thank you for that. Yeah. I think that it's so cool listening A to Z of your testimony. Like, man, if the Lord hadn't, developed that kind of faith in you through your brother, through being out here and being like, hey, I was with you all through this. Like, I'm going to just keep adding on. Like, it's like mm-hmm. lifting weights. Like, yeah. like you yeah. just you um, keep adding a little bit of resistance and you keep getting stronger and stronger. And yeah. um, he built, he knew that something like Joe was going to happen mm-hmm. and he didn't leave you to out to dry unprepared for it. Yeah. Like he put purpose, like this podcast, he put purpose to your pain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Through, I mean, and as hard as that sounds like you went through a trial, but like you didn't get thrown into it. Like imagine if you were to get thrown into a basketball game, never having run, <laughs> a sprint in your life. Right. Like he didn't do that. No. Um, and that's cool to listen to. Um, and your perspective on it is so cool. And like the wisdom that you shared is beautiful. Um, I think there's a difference between smart and knowledgeable. That's like knowing facts. Wisdom is applying those facts to your life Mm. and you do that. And so kudos to you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, okay. So we, we are a little over and I don't care. Um, we talked before I was like, okay, so we're going to do about 45 minutes because anywhere that you drive in Denver, um, is like a 45 minute length. And, um, we're at an hour right now. So hopefully you're but, like, it's like five thirty. Yeah. You're, you're driving through tech center. Yeah. You're driving to the tech center and you're, we're going from my house in Centennial to your house in the Highlands <laughs> and at four forty five, <laughs> and every stupid Californian and their mother is on I 25 and there's a car parked on the side of the road that everyone needs to slow down to four miles an hour to look at <laughs> as they drive by, um, to listen to this podcast episode. Um, but okay. Uh, if you were, to because I really I really want to weaponize testimonies through this that is the the ultimate goal there are a bunch of different umbrella goals but like even to say purpose to pain is weaponizing Mm -hmm. and so if you could if you could say um, one thing because if this podcast is for one person let's say um, and you could you could say something to somebody listening 
taking in everything you've learned over the 27 years that you've been on earth, what would that be? Hey, blank, blank. Oh, man. First thing that comes to your head. Don't, you, don't, you don't need to. <laughs> I think... I think most of all, just even if you can't see God working, having faith that he is working. And so if you're dealing with loss, um, just know that as deep as the pain can feel after loss, like there's hope beyond Mm. it. Mm. And so if you can just cling to hope that like a, Maybe you're not dealing with loss, but you're dealing with something something else. Like there is there is something to be gained and learned from whatever you're going through and, and God is is using you in your circumstances and you know, that's kind of a <laughs> an easy thing to say, but um but I I think having faith even in, in kind of the in between or even um in the midst of of suffering. Um, knowing that God is using it mm. um, and God is, man, he's right next to you. Even if you, he feels a million miles away. Um, and if you're dealing with loss, I mean, man, patience with yourself <laughs> is a big one and being authentic with how you're feeling because you're feeling so many different emotions throughout even a 20 minute span, probably. So just being authentic with, if you need to cry in public, then cry in public (laughs) and if you need to scream at your windshield then scream at your windshield like absolutely just be authentic with how you're feeling Mm -hmm. and if you're angry and you hate god right now then tell him that you know don't be afraid he can handle it he's heard much worse (laughs) probably from me (laughs) yeah probably from me and so just being patient and and knowing that like you're probably feeling a lot of things, but most of all, just exhausted from losing somebody. And so being patient with yourself, knowing that it's okay to feel the way that you're feeling. <laughs> but then also, um, but then also having hope that there's, there's healing mm-hmm. in it and just know that God is going to heal through whatever loss you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I could I could elaborate on <laughs> real, well, what I did time. to heal, but we are way over time, so I don't want <laughs> to. There's no such thing as overtime. We shoot for things, but then right. if it doesn't happen, cool. <laughs> um, all right. Well, dude, holy cow. Um, I'm very excited for this. This um, The words that you're speaking are dripping in the Holy Spirit, so I expect you to mop my floor um, <laughs> after this. Um, but... Uh, well, guys, thank you for listening. Uh, I appreciate all of everyone who has reached out and um, encouraged this project uh, because you are the reason why it is still going. Um, because, man, it it the enemy's really good at what he does. Uh, mm. Just know that you're not alone in. Uh, the whispers of the enemy and the static of the world uh, when we talk. And so, uh, man, thank you, Greg. Uh, And until next time, y'all, peace. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode 